Welcome to the Sam Says Podcast. I'm Samantha Oldsfry, the CEO of the Illinois Association of Medicaid Health Plans, also known as IMHIP. In this podcast, we focus on all things surrounding the Illinois Medicaid Managed Care Program. Hello, I'm DeRondel Beverly with the Gemini Group, and welcome to Sam Says. On today's episode, we sit down with IMHIP consultant Kareem Kenyatta to discuss what to expect in the upcoming veto session. But first, let me welcome our host, the Sam and Sam Says, Samantha Olds Fry, CEO of I'm Hip. Sam, how are you today? I'm great. How are you, DeRondal? I am doing well, doing well. Uh, we are excited to welcome back one of our favorite regular standing guests here on Sam Says, Kareem Kenyatta. Kareem, good to have you back on Sam Says. How are you today? Uh, thanks, Deronda. I'm good. How are you? Good, good, good. Doing well, doing well. Uh, well, thank you for coming back and joining us. And, and we're excited to dive into today's discussion on what to expect in the upcoming veto session. But before we do that, uh, please lay the foundation for our listeners. Legislators are getting ready to reconvene in Springfield. What are the things that you're expecting them to take up once they get together? Wow, that's a loaded question. That's a lot going on. I don't know. Samantha, do you want to kick it off or how do you want to do it? You know, every time I will give it a go. I feel the same way, Kareem, because every time I think I know what they're going to try to tackle, you know, we it's just more of the on theme for 2021 and 2020, which is expect the unexpected. So, you know, energy continues to be a topic of discussion. We know that they've got the congressional redistricting maps that need to be taken up. You know, those are the big items. There may or may not be some stuff they need to act on because of federal laws and policies. I mean, we saw that there were some changes um, from uh, in the healthcare perspective uh, in the at the federal level on the surprise billing. So I anticipate that in Illinois, we'll probably have to align with that in some fashion um, for medical billing. But I also think there are probably things we're not thinking of today that'll end up being discussed. Yeah, I agree. You know, there's a number of, uh, you know, when it comes to actual federal funding and things related to pandemic relief, uh, you know, there are a lot of things that the state still needs to decide about how they're going to use some of these federal funds. So I don't know if the plan is to tackle that in veto, but I know it's something that they're at least considering. Uh, But you know, as you know, veto session, you don't really have a lot of time to to consider a lot of issues. And, you know, at least before in previous years under different leadership, veto session was very limited. And, you know, you usually didn't just introduce new things during veto, but we're kind of in unprecedented times and, you know, anything is possible. But I think mainly, you know, all the things Samantha mentioned and you know, just looking for what they're going to do in terms of federal funding will probably be the priorities that they focus on. But anything's possible. <laughs> and when you think of it, Kareem, you know, we've they've met now multiple times over the summer. And so we're talking about veto session is this like scheduled time in October when they meet. Um, but they've already met multiple times and tackled things that I thought they would be tackling in October. Um, So, you know, it's just so different as we talk about, you know, 
how times are different, you know, 2020 and 2021 and how they sort of differ from, you know, 2018, 2019, um, or even earlier, because those were also some interesting years I, I picked for examples, but, you know, they've met over the summer multiple times. So they've tackled some of the things that we anticipated they would tackle, or at least I anticipated they would tackle in October, um, such as adjustments to the maps, taking up vetoes and AVs, um, you know, sort of handling some of those things that I thought would happen in October, but, you know, you still have the pandemic, you still have some interesting, you know, you know, protocols in terms of like, you have to, if you're going down to the Capitol, you're testing for COVID, which limits, which A is very safe, very supportive of, but means that you're not having large crowds. Typically you're really seeing a smaller presence in Springfield, which is probably for the this best and safety of everyone, but it's just an interesting time. There's new leadership uh, and there's just so much that feels unprecedented. Absolutely. Yeah. And in some ways we're kind of getting to the point where we started, where, like you said, there's limited access and here we are going into, getting ready to go into another major kind of legislative session and it's still limited access and you know a lot of things are kind of happening in a vacuum I know you know not to get off topic but even with a big issue like the energy discussions it's been very limited who in the folks that have been able to participate whereas in previous years you know a big bill like that you know everyone around the capitol is talking about what's happening exchanging information and so it's just interesting going into these different sessions and adjusting to all the things that the pandemic has kind of thrown our way. But, you know, it makes our jobs interesting, I guess, because we constantly have to adapt. That's right. It keeps us on our toes. And I think for you and I, we take this for granted, but I think it's worth sort of explaining the difference between regular session, which is months long, and veto session, which is typically a few weeks. Um, and so, you kind of alluded to this already, Kareem. In years past, the idea of veto session was really just to take up action on items that the governor either vetoed or mandatorily vetoed and to either accept those or, you know, reject those vetoes and, and or potentially move something that had already really been discussed, but, you know, it wasn't brought across the finish line back in May. It was really small scope. This year, we don't know if that's going to be the same approach. We do know we still have limited time, but the new leadership has definitely shown they're willing to come back a little bit more often um, than I think we saw when there wasn't a budget crisis. I mean, like in a stable, normal year, um, you know, previous leadership really didn't come back until veto. Yeah, no, that's absolutely right. And, you know, I, it's just interesting because it's a different dynamic. You know, you think about previous administrations where you have a Republican governor and Democrat legislature and, you know, there are contentious issues and, you know, really veto session was reserved for kind of either showing the governor, hey, we're the legislature and this is what we think of what you've done or, you know, accepting. I don't know the last time I can remember uh, when the AB was accepted. It's been a while. I'm sure it's happened at some point, but. But yeah, you're right. It's completely different. And a lot of times it's an indicator of, 
you know, what's going on and what the relationship is between the legislature and the governor, because that is a time for either the House or Senate to tell the governor, hey, we appreciate your suggestions, but we're going to go with whatever we decided. And so, you know, and that tends to happen, obviously, from time to time, no matter who the governor is. And so I'm sure this veto session will be no different. Right. And I think, Kareem, the only times I can remember them accepting an AV, the legislature accepting an AV, was when it was to help out the legislature when something was drafted and maybe the effective date was wrong or there was something technical that was noticed after the fact. And so the governor AV'd it to sort of align with the intent of the legislature and and rather than having to pass a new bill and the legislature accepted it because it was it was their intent all along. Um, But other than that, yeah, I'm with you. AVs aren't aren't super popular here. Uh, And, you know, that leads us sort of to healthcare. And, you know, we are talking about the unexpected and we've definitely been dealing with the unexpected in this space. So we knew here at IMHIP, House Bill 684, the ambulance, um, this is a non-emergency ambulance bill. It carved out non-emergency ambulance from the managed care contract. It was something we were terribly opposed to um, mainly because of how it'll impact our most vulnerable members. So most people like you and I, Kareem, when we need to go to a doctor's office or we need, you know, say we have a scheduled surgery, we don't need an ambulance, um, in a non-emergency setting. The only time you really need a non-emergency ambulance is if you're very vulnerable from a healthcare perspective or your mobility is limited, Um, in some way, or you need like breathing support or continuous monitoring. So if you fall into one of those categories, you're at risk. So we were really worried and and remain really worried about if that piece is carved out, well, it's very small. I mean, when you look at sort of our whole contract and the whole program, it's a blip on the radar. I mean, you, 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 we won't notice the decrease in terms of the funding to the managed care organizations really at all because it's so small. But what we worry we will see, and I think we're already getting a hint of, is that those ambulance companies, it was already very hard to get them to pick up members at home. Uh, and we often had to offer additional dollars to get them to pick people up. And we won't be able to do that if we're not the one paying the claim and HFS is barred from doing so. So we successfully um, advocated for Medicaid members and the governor vetoed House Bill 684, even though it passed unanimously. But that veto was overridden when they met um, this summer. And so, you know, that was something we, uh, you and I think thought would happen in October, but because of the energy debate, it, Start, you know, the clock started for acting on vetoes. And so we th- we saw them take action on it over the summer. And so that's something that we're very concerned about. Um, it will go into effect in January. We will, we will see the effects of it. I think we've already, since the bill has passed, we've already seen confusion with the ambulance providers. Um, we've already sort of seen that negative impact potentially. So we're going to continue to monitor it and educate um, and inform legislators of the impact of this legislation. Because I don't know that all of the impact was fully appreciated because it is so, it sounds so small, but who it impacts, you know, it's the, the most vulnerable people. So I think we'll continue to talk about that piece. Um, 
because that was sort of the big healthcare item. The other only the healthcare items that I can really think of that we know of at the time, at, right now, that I anticipate being taken up in the fall is potentially aligning, you know, with whatever, you know, with all the No Surprises Act, which does not impact Medicaid really. It's really just on the commercial side. Um, and, and aligning Illinois law with federal law on surprise billing um, and maybe some cleanup here and there, but just nothing really, at least what we know of so far, nothing big on healthcare. No, that's right. And, you know, with the, that bill, I, I think that's a great example of, you know, where lobbying comes into play because, you know, from our perspective, although we were able to kind of inform legislators of what the outcome was going to be if this happened, you know, it's one of those situations where they're hearing from both sides and they decided to take the chance and say, well, you know, we'll see what happens. And now, you know, over the next, I would say, what, six months to a year, we'll see what the result is. And, you know, hopefully for the folks that were advocating for this, you know, it turns out the way they think it will. But if not, you know, we're going to have to obviously go back to the drawing board and, as you said, continue to educate legislators on what's happening. And so, you know, I think this is kind of a prime example for folks that are listening and interested in the process. This is a good example of how, regardless of what you present to legislators and the governor can tell legislators, sometimes, you know, they're driven to do what they think is right at the moment. And so we'll see how it all shakes out and if we have to come back to the drawing board. And, and I think when, and this happens, you know, you've worked in the space in, in, or worked on issues similar to this in other spaces, but when it's such a complex issue and there's so much nuance and there's so many moving pieces, it's hard sometimes for legislators who are by the very nature of, of what they do, they're not subject matter experts in all of these various fields. So they've got to make a judgment call based off of sort of what they're hearing and their understanding of the world and you know, when you're talking about some really complex issues, that may mean that there are some details that they, like they just aren't fully appreciated. And especially in times where they're not hearing from everybody accesses, it, it's, it's different than normal. Um, and, it, and it seems like a small decision. Sometimes those small decisions can have significant impacts that just aren't appreciated at the time. And you're right. I have seen that in other spaces where you know, at the time they weren't fully aware of all the information before, or they were aware of the information, but didn't realize the true impact until after a bill was passed. And, you know, it's not really until they start to hear either from their constituents or, you know, organizations or other folks that start calling and say, hey, we got a problem here that they realize, well, maybe we should have, uh, you know, either taken a closer look at this or done something different. And in this situation, when we're talking about Hospital 684, it's a situation where we here at IMHIP, we're saying, this is what's going to happen. There's going to be confusion. There's going to be access issues. There's going to be negative impact on Medicaid members. And, and the ambulance industry is saying, no, none of that's going to happen. And so for a legislator who's sitting in the middle, they're saying, well, I'm hearing, you know, I'm hearing one side say it won't happen and one side say it, saying it will. And so they made a judgment call. And um, now that the bill will become, you know, implemented, we will see, um, you know, what ends up happening. So we've talked a bit about veto. We've talked about how it's different from a public policy perspective. You know, after veto, 
what are you sort of expecting for the next legislature? So when they come back, you know, January, February, what are some of those things you're sort of assuming will be taken up next year? Yeah, well, I think uh, we still have a big infrastructure capital bill that parts of it still need to be implemented and funding. So I think that's going to be a big issue Um, and just not even a big issue in the sense of legislation that needs to pass. But I think they just need to figure out how certain things are going to work and make sure funding is there. Um, And, you know, more generally, I think as people start to consider their new districts and everything related to that, I think you'll see at least, even if it doesn't go anywhere, you'll see legislation introduced that kind of reflects members who want to reach out to constituents in their either existing or new districts. And so it'll be interesting to see kind of what's introduced. We know the primary is later now, you know, it's in June. So, you know, it's going to be an interesting session just to watch not only what's introduced, but what actually moves. Because as we know, notice in election years, most of the time you don't have controversial issues that are considered or advanced very far. So I don't think that'll be different for this session. But again, it's a lot that's happened over the past few months that I didn't expect either. So who knows? Okay. I think that that's a, that's a good spot to give our listeners a sense of, of what's to come in the coming weeks and months ahead. Kareem, as always, we appreciate uh, you joining us and, and being a part of the Sam Says conversation. Hopefully, you've done this a few times. Hopefully, you're willing to come back and do a few more. Oh, yeah. I always want to come back. Thanks again for having me. We appreciate that. Sam, before we close out, uh, final question for you, just, you know, you and Kareem, always interesting conversation for me to listen to. A lot of interesting stuff coming up that uh, you, you both will be tracking over the coming weeks and months ahead. What's something that uh, is, is sticking with you or that you'll be uh, intently tracking going forward? You know, I, I think Kareem highlighted something that I hadn't, you know, like sort of fully appreciated or, or just hadn't thought about, which is as these members, they are going to know their new districts uh, and they're going to be legislating in 2022 with those new districts and those new areas in mind. And so you might see legislators entering spaces um, from a public policy perspective where they may not have been um, before simply because they, they have new districts uh, that have, you know, may care deeply about things that their old district might not have, not, might not have um, been as passionate about. So that'll just be interesting to watch. I think it's, you know, 2020 was really interesting. 2021 was fascinating. And I think we're going to see the same legislatively in 22 of, you know, just a lot of unknown. Um, So stay tuned. That's right. Stay tuned. Appreciate uh, you sharing that, uh, that little bit of closing uh, insight for our listeners. Uh, If you have enjoyed what you've heard today, I encourage you to visit the I'm hip website at I'm hip.net. That's I-A-M-H-P dot net to learn more about what the association is doing and to listen to other interesting podcasts like this one today. I also encourage you to like and follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. And if you're interested in becoming a trusted partner with the association, I encourage you to connect again uh, with the I'm Hip website at imhip.net. On behalf of Sam and the team at I'm Hip, I'm Durandal Beverly with the Gemini Group. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Sam Says. Stay safe 
and we'll talk to you soon.